0: You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit illinilife.org. Good morning. I was thinking about good morning, how it's never more true than on Easter morning. It really is a good morning as we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm Nick Majeski. as Russ uh, mentioned. I'm on staff here with Illini Life. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I'd love to get a chance to do so, maybe talk after service. But we are excited that you're all here to celebrate with us this morning, to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the moment that brought all of our faith into focus, the moment that established it all. Before we dive into that, before we dive into our message on Easter, I want to take a moment to reflect on a moment in my life that changed everything, a moment that changed my identity forever. It was August 8, 2009. It was a hot summer day here in Champaign-Urbana. And I was extremely thankful for the aggressive air conditioning in the Alumni Center. As I stood with my open-toed black Birkenstocks in my tuxedo with five of my closest friends. We all enjoyed being indoors on that hot day. And mid afternoon rolled around and our family and friends, they'd all been seated some traveling far distances for this occasion and the music shifted my sister-in-law began to play this song and Amy descended down the stairway in the entryway towards me standing at the front We have a picture of her. She's beautiful, isn't she? I feel the tears now, but the the tears welled up inside me. Emotion overcame me, and I knew everything was about to change. This woman, she was making her way towards me so that we could make a commitment to one another, a commitment that would change us forever, a commitment that would redefine our relationship to one another and to everyone around us. At our wedding, we became husband and wife. We changed identities. It changed reality for us. I became Amy's husband. She became my wife. It was a new creation, a new thing coming about. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about a moment in history that changed everything for all of us. A moment in history that changed our identities. A moment of history that changed reality for everyone. It's a moment where despair turned to joyful hope. I want to talk about the resurrection, right? That's what I'm getting at. It's Easter. We talk about the resurrection on Easter. Well, as many of you know, we spent the last six weeks before spring break walking through the book of 1 Peter. It was a ton of fun to study that book together with you here and discuss it in small groups. I just, I loved it. I hope you enjoyed it. And I thought as we were reflecting on Easter, it'd be good to think back to Peter's opening in that letter because it sets a great framework for our message this morning. So think back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I have them on the screen for you. Peter's letter he held up hope in a future salvation awaiting for the believers of Christ through trial and despair and hardship Peter said put your hope in your assured salvation that awaits you This hope it pulls us through it's a hope that's a living hope is the way he describes it a hope that has force to it It's hope that gets you up out of your seat and moves you around It's a hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's that's our message this morning. That's what I want you to get. The resurrection gives us expectation that carries us forward. It inspires us to action. It should motivate us, get us up out of our seats. Resurrection gives us living hope. Resurrection hope is living hope. That's the message this morning. That's what I want us to see. So let's... We're going to look at a passage in Luke's Gospel. It's chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And that's a familiar story, maybe to some of you, about two disciples who are on a road out of Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And on that road, a moment occurs that changes reality for them and for us. A moment that reshapes everything, that redefines their identities. Now, before we get into that, I want to really quickly summarize uh, what has happened, what's transpired up to this point. Now, I know many of us read and discussed the happenings of Thursday through Sunday uh, in the Gospels, uh, in our small groups this past week, but we've been on spring break, and so we haven't had a chance to do that together here, so I want us to do that as a community this morning as we reflect on Easter. So how did we get here, right? Well, on Thursday... Jesus and his disciples, they gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. There, Jesus begins to baffle his disciples. He washes their feet as a servant. Their leader chooses a position of servanthood. He sets down his power and authority, and he loves them. He serves them. He goes on in that meal to predict his betrayal. They eat the Last Supper, and he institutes communion as a sacrament, remembering his sacrifice. He predicts Peter's denial of him. Later that night, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's arrested as Judas completes his betrayal, leading a crowd to seize Jesus and bring him to the Jewish high priest to be questioned. There he's mocked and he's beaten, and during this time, Peter, one of his closest friends, one of his closest disciples, abandons him. He denies that he even knows him 3 times, just as Jesus had predicted. Now on Friday morning he's brought before the Jewish officials, he's accused, and then he's sent to two different Roman authorities, both of which find him innocent. They offer to release him, to flog him and release him. And the Jewish authorities they demand his execution. They'd rather see him executed and so mid-morning on Friday, Jesus is nailed to the cross to be crucified. He's placed between two thieves, and the mocking continues from the guards and the people around, and even one of the thieves. In the midst, in the face of excruciating pain and ridicule, Jesus prays for forgiveness of his Roman executioners. He offers hope to one of the thieves being executed next And then around 3 p.m. that afternoon, the execution is complete. And in great pain and anguish, Jesus breathes his last breath. Now the Romans, they were experts in execution. And so we're told that his side is pierced with a spear. And it goes into his lungs and blood and water spills out, indicating that he had asphyxiated. He was dead. He was over. Before sunset that day, his body's taken down from the cross, it's wrapped in linen and placed in a newly constructed tomb cut into stone. It's sealed, and a Roman guard is placed outside to watch over it. Now Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, and so the tomb was left as is, complete with its Roman guard watching over. It. And then early Sunday morning, some of the women that followed Jesus, they brought spices. And, and other things to prepare his body for its final rest. And as they arrive at the tomb, they find it open, and nothing inside but the linen Jesus had been wrapped in. And then angels appear to them, and Luke tells us in his gospel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, and the and the men said to them, "Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here?" He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the the third day rise. And then word spreads to Jesus' followers as these women return. They tell of how they found the tomb empty and how these angels had said Jesus had risen from the dead. Some of them don't believe it, and they go out there to see for themselves. And so as they hear these things, they're confused, which makes sense, right? I mean, how many of us know someone who died and then rose from the dead? I mean, they saw him executed. He was dead, completely dead. There was no question of that fact in their mind. And now there's reports that his body's gone, that an angel says he was alive. I think I get it I think I'd have some doubts too maybe you would I think I'd be confused I wouldn't know what to do and that's where our passage picks up right there at that moment two followers of Jesus are on the road out of Jerusalem to a village named Emmaus now we know that this is about a seven mile walk so it's a couple hours for them a few hours for them to be walking now why are they on this road Well, because for them it's over. Jesus is dead. The movement's gone. It's done. Who do they follow now? They're trying to make sense of what just happened, right? Think about it. On Thursday, they were following a great leader who was going to change everything. And Sunday morning, they don't even know where his body is. His tomb is empty and he's gone. So they're headed back. They're doing what seems to make sense. They're going back to whatever they did before they heard of Jesus, before they began to follow him. They're returning to Emmaus. And along their journey, they're joined by someone that they don't know, a stranger to them. But as the reader, we know it's Jesus. So let's look at our passage, Luke 24, 13. I'll have the words up on the screen. You can follow along. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, the fact that they don't recognize Jesus is significant in this story. We're told, actually, that they kept from recognizing him. You know, it's not just sort of like they had trouble recognizing him. The true Jesus, he can be hard for us to see at times. Maybe there are points in our lives where where we didn't see the true Jesus. And that's a theme that runs throughout Luke's gospel, people not seeing Jesus for who he really is. And as he teaches and does miracles and, and there's divine revelation, people start to get it. It starts to become more clear but they need help. They need assistance through those things. They need further understanding and revelation to really see who Jesus is. That's a theme in Luke's gospel because it's a theme of humanity. It's true of us. It's true of humans, of our interactions with this God. man. We see this today, right? We see this today as we see friends who, who think they know Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They don't see him as a Savior, as a Lord, as God. We see it today in in people that read Jesus and misrepresent him, misapply his teachings. Hard to see the true Jesus for some people. We see it today in our lives and the lives of those around us when we hear people talk about Jesus and and misrepresent him and say and do things in his name that make us wonder, do they even know the same Jesus we know? Now, for our travelers, their disbelief in Jesus rising from the dead, their conclusion to pack it up and go home, that it's over, that their decision that he wasn't who they thought he was, it clouds their vision, It makes it hard to see the true Jesus for them. They can't see who is walking right beside them. And Sometimes you and I, we struggle to see the true Jesus walking right beside us amidst all that we have going on in our lives, our distractions, maybe our inaccurate beliefs or shaky beliefs, our doubts, our pain, our disappointment, our lost hope. We can struggle to see the true Jesus walking right beside us. You and I, we're not unlike our travelers. We fail to see Jesus clearly. When we fail to see Jesus clearly, we can lose hope just as they did we can return to where we came from. Well, hope, loss, disappointment, those are the places where Jesus meets his travelers. He meets them there, he engages, he asks questions, and he leans in. And they respond, they explain what's going on, what's transpired these past few days and why they're so confused and sad. So let's continue looking at our passage. Picking up in verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Clopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have, trans- that have happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Can you feel the pain in their words? Can you feel their sadness, their confusion? What they are leaving behind in Jerusalem has shaken their world apart. It's turned it upside down. They can't believe the stranger that they are talking to has no idea what has happened. No idea what they're referring to. You know, it's like when I mentioned that the Cubs missed going to the World Series last year, and someone says, who are the Cubs? They're like, how do I respond to that? You know? <laughs> what do I do with that statement? I don't even know where to start. Uh, crushed hopes, that's something Cubs fans know. Crushed dreams, uh, dreams destroyed, crushed hopes. That's where our people are at, right? Maybe that's why Cubs fans are good Christians. Um. (laughs) But we had hoped, right? That's their statement. But we had hoped, right? That's where they're, they're at. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's such a powerful statement. It's such an ironic statement, isn't it? The thing they had hoped for is in fact what had just transpired, and they are telling it to the one who had done it. But they're blind to it, right? They can't see it. They don't understand. Just as they can't clearly see Jesus for who he was, they can't clearly see the cross and the empty tomb for what it was. On the cross, Jesus was at work redeeming all of humanity, In our place, he atoned for our sins. All of Israel, all of humanity redeemed. God in human flesh endured brutality in place of humanity. Though innocent, he was punished. Though sinless, he bore our sins. Though all-powerful, he chose to submit. For the followers of Jesus, for our travelers, watching the crucifixion was watching their hope nailed to the cross to die. But we had hoped, it's a gut-wrenching statement, right? It, it puts forth all that they had lost in these days. But we had hoped, how many times have you and I said those words in our lives? How many times have they been written on our hearts and our minds? Yeah, but we had hoped the Cubs would win, right? Yeah. But we had hoped it would be warmer today. I really did. This cold needs to stop. Or, but I had hoped she would be the one she would say yes this time. But I had hoped he would ask me out and not her. But I had hoped I would get that job. But I would hope I would get into that grad school, or that program. In our moments of hope lost, of dreams destroyed, Jesus is still there, walking beside us, just as he was there with them. In our disappointment, Jesus is near. Whether we can see him or not, he walks with us. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. In fact, that's what he did. And Jesus goes on to explain that to them. So as our passage continues, we learn that Jesus walked them through the scriptures explaining all the prophecies concerning himself and why he had to suffer before he was glorified, why he had to endure this before the kingdom of God was brought forth. Let's pick up in in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in response to their confusion and their lost hope, Jesus tells them it always had to be this way. It had to go down this way. It was foretold the Messiah had to suffer to be glorified. The suffering servant brings forth the kingdom of God. We read that that Jesus interpreted all the scriptures to them. He explained them. He opened them up. He illuminated them. Now I don't know what passages he went to. Luke doesn't tell us. But I wonder if he went to Isaiah 61 and showed them its proclamation of deliverance. I wonder if he went to Isaiah 53 and showed them how he was the suffering servant. Maybe you went to Daniel 7 and it's picture of the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Maybe you went to 2 Samuel 7 where God told David the Messiah would be from his line and how Jesus was from David's line. We could go on, but whatever passages he took into, I know the message was clear. Jesus is the prophet like Moses who mediates for the people and gives instructions for godly living. He is the son of David, the rightful king over God's people. He is the suffering servant who endured so we don't have to. He is the Messiah who redeemed God's people. He is the son of man given dominion over the earth. I think this would have been a fascinating Bible study to hear Jesus explain all these things. To hear the creator of the world, the author of the Bible, the Bible study leader you want? Well, as as Jesus opens up the scriptures to them, they begin to understand who Jesus was, what he had to endure and why. And as they study the scriptures together, they grow in their understanding and knowledge of Jesus. Their vision is getting corrected. They're starting to see clearly again. And you and I, we're just like them. As we study the scriptures, we grow in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus. Our vision gets clearer. So when we struggle to see Jesus, we turn to the scriptures to renew our minds and grow in our understanding of him. To have our vision corrected. Our travelers, they are so enthralled with their conversation, their time with the stranger, that they don't want it to end. And so as they approach Emmaus, they beg him to stay with them and continue their conversation. Jesus agrees, and he joins them for a meal and, completes re- and continues to reveal his identity. Let's read in, in verse 28. So They drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. It's Jesus, the risen Christ. It becomes obvious at, the, at this point to them. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and gives it to him, just as he had done at the Last Supper just as he had done when he fed the masses, just as he's going to do with the disciples next. At that moment, it all clicks. Their vision is restored. It's clear now. When they see Jesus doing what he has done before, their eyes are opened. He is revealed for who he is. They understand. It becomes obvious. Jesus' actions reveal the truth of who he is. Now he explained who he was as they walked and he opened the scriptures to them. Then he demonstrated who he was, the one who conquered death, the one who rose from the grave, the risen Christ sits before them, walks with them. For us, as Jesus' work is revealed in our lives, we see him more clearly. We begin to understand him more fully. As we are freed from the chains of addiction in our lives, we understand what it means that Jesus set captives free. As we experience grace and love in our community, the love of Christ and the grace of God, we understand more what we've been given in the free gift of salvation when we struggle to see Jesus, we reflect on his work in our lives and the lives of those around us because what Jesus has done reveals who he is. Well, as Jesus was revealed, they realized who he was. Their hope is restored. They're so moved that they return to Jerusalem. They return to the mission that they were on, to the community of Christ followers that they were with. Let's read the end of our passage here, picking up in verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us, opened us to the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them that what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Their despair becomes delight as the truth of Jesus' resurrection begins to sink in. Jesus alive changed everything. It changed reality. It changed their identity. As hope is restored, As the reality of the resurrection sinks in, they spring up from the table and they hurry back to Jerusalem. That's the power of the resurrection. It gets them up out of their seats. It gets us up and makes us move. It requires response. Resurrection hope moves us to action. It changes our perspective on reality. It gives us a new identity. Resurrection hope is living hope. Actionable hope, hope that pulls us forward, hope that moves us on. For our two travelers, the resurrection was a game changer. The passage says, they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. The journey that took 20 verses to happen is undone in one. As a reader, you get the sense that they're sprinting back to Jerusalem. You know, that's, that's the way it feels. That's the power of the resurrection. The resurrection makes all the difference. It means Jesus conquered the grave. He no longer is bound by death. He was dead, laid in a tomb, fully dead. And then he wasn't. God raised him to new life. And that same power lives in us as his followers. We were dead in our sins dead, completely dead, and then we weren't. We were raised to new life. We were raised to new life that is marked by living hope, hope that moves us forward. And that's the message of Easter. And so on a Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, a tomb was found empty, and a group of religious followers were in despair. They didn't know what to do. They were confused and hope was lost. Some of them, they returned to their previous lives, convinced it was over, not knowing what to do. Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. At least that's what they were beginning to conclude. But then the resurrection happened, right? Then the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything for the disciples. It restored their hope and faith in Jesus. It brought everything into focus about who Jesus was because what Jesus does reveals who he is. It clarified all that he had done and taught. It opened their eyes just as it opens our eyes. At the resurrection, reality was altered forever. It's a moment that changed everything for us just as it did for them. It's the instant when Despair turned to joyful hope. It's the moment where Jesus proved to be who he said he was. It's the moment that opened the eyes of faith. Of the truth of Jesus as our God and King, our Savior. And so when we have a clear view of who Jesus is through studying Scripture and through encountering the risen Christ in his work in our lives, our hope is restored. It's placed firmly on our true Savior. And our restored hope, Peter tells us, becomes a living hope, a motivating force that awaits the completion of our salvation, a hope that pulls us forward to the final days. In the resurrection, we go from people who were saying, but I hoped, but we had hoped, to living hope, to active hope. Through the resurrection, we are raised to new life, and we await the completion of our salvation at at the final days. Our hope is inaugurated now, and it, it lives within us, but it will be completed on Christ's return when he finishes restoring all things, all of creation. Amen. Let's pray.